12, 15, 40, 72. These are the secret numbers. Examine them closely and you will know wisdom, as I have. There was a time when I was lost, stumbling into the woods without anything to guide me to the right path. Then came the voice. It spoke to me and showed me the way things are, the inner workings of the world. I don't know why it chose me, of all people. Perhaps it was easier for me than for others, always distracted by the way things look, not even bothering to try and understand what they really are. My eyes haven't seen this world since I was ten years old, but I know its mysteries better than anyone. I speak the language of the gods, the cipher that runs the universe. I know the numbers, and they know me. You may think you know the numbers. You may think it's as simple as writing arithmetic on a blackboard, but that isn't it at all. Everything you do, every turn your life takes, they're there, behind the scenes, lurking out of sight. Arcs of trajectory, engine displacements, carrying capacities, planetary orbits, playing card odds. And those are just the ones you can measure. Listen closely. I'll show you, just like the voice showed me. I'll teach you to see it without seeing, to glimpse the hidden framework behind it all, the highest mysteries of creation. It goes like this. Five, the point. Twelve, the line. Fifteen, the triangle. Forty, the prism. Seventy-two, the absolute. Understand now? Listen to me. Five, twelve, fifteen, forty, seventy-two. There is the outline of the labyrinth of time, the score for the music of the spheres, the code to the lockbox of the eternal. Move them around how you like. Divide, square, multiply. It's always the same. The same riddle. The same solution. Tetractus, the Pyramid of Light. Five, twelve, fifteen, forty, seventy-two. Still confused? Let us take a story as an example. This story begins one spring night in 1934, somewhere in the desolate emptiness of the American West. Or maybe that wasn't the beginning. Maybe it never started, just as it was never to end. But this is where the telling begins. It begins looking over that maze of railroad tracks to the Great Plains, crisscrossing like axes along a Cartesian plain. All along them, a multitude of anonymous freight trains, little iron ants running along their little iron tunnels. Then it looks closer, peering into a single car in a single one of those trains, in which a game was then taking place. A motley group of female tramps were passing the time, among them a quiet Texan farm girl who joined them not more than a week before. The others barely took any note of her, except for the one in the dark glasses with the foreign accent, the one they called Ethel. A squirrel! You're a squirrel, right? Sorry, you're out, Marianne. Gosh dang it! 
Nobody done figured it out, Ethel. Just tell us what it is. Yeah, tell us. Technically, I'm not obliged to. Please, I've been lying awake all night trying to puzzle it out if you don't say. All right, I am a kobold. Oh, what? What's a kobold? Oh, you know, a little hairy little spirit something. About this big. Very mischievous. There was one in my grandmother's house who'd never leave her cockery alone. <laughs> what? You don't have those here? No. Whoops. That one fair! You can't just be making up spirits. I assure you, I made up no spirits. What's more, I think they'd be very offended to hear you say that. Uh, I think I heard of something like that once. My great uncle used to tell me about him. See? Of course, he also talked about flying saucers and Bigfoot. I think he was a little off his rocker. Whatever. It's your turn, Marianne. Ooh, okay. I thought of one. Is it bigger than a bread box? Uh-uh. Is it an animal? Uh-huh. Is it domesticated? Not that I ever heard. Be mighty strange. Is it a meat eater? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe really little meat. Does it sting? Uh-huh. Real bad. What is it? A centipede! Wait! You tricked me! Yes, I did. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. If you won't play by the rules, Ethel, we won't play at all. Jeez! They're having fun, aren't we? Who cares about the rules? Without rules, we ain't nothing. That's what we build this country on. Yeah! You can't say nothing against George Washington, can ya? I recuse myself from that question. Whatever. That's your second strike, Ethel, here. I'm going to bed after this next round anyhow. Since you cheated, we'll give it to the new girl. Golly. All right. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Is it bigger than a bread box? Yeah. Hey, Rhonda, how come you always ask that? I don't know. It's a good question. I suppose. But there's a lot of things the same size as bread boxes. What are you supposed to say then? You say it's the same size, obviously. For God's sake, this ain't rocket science, Marianne. But you can only say yes or no. That's how Ethel got me earlier. Um, uh, no, you got it all wrong. Look. How about we get to that enigma when we get to it? For now, Lottie's still got a mystery you're letting her keep all to herself. Sure. It's your turn, Ethel. No cheating. Wouldn't dream of it. Um, Lottie, are you a living being? Nah. Well, maybe in a manner of speaking. In a manner of speaking? Hold on. Is this one of those Lugosi critters? Them undead things? You mean a vampire? No, not that. I meant, like, undead. Zombies? Yeah, that's right. It's a zombie, right? Nah, sorry. <laughs> For Pete's sake, it ain't fair. It ain't fair not think of zombies? Why'd well, you say it was sort of alive if it wasn't a zombie? That's just misleading. Maybe it was a vampire. Are you a vampire? Nah, that ain't it either. Ah, well. So much for the undead, eh? Y'all like to kid, but it ain't no laughing matter. Care to share, Rhonda? It's not a pleasant story. Well, now, you went made us curious, Rhonda. You gotta say. All right, well. You know, I've been riding the rails since they turned us off our farm in Benton country back in 29. We got a little strip of land in Arkansas in 32, but then the drought hit and my mom and pop kicked the bucket. It was just me and my sister Diane then, and we had nothing. So we went back to hoboing for a while, but they wouldn't let us stay anywhere we went. Not that there were any jobs anyways. It was rough going. Then, 
We heard there were jobs in California, so we started heading there. It was hard, though. They didn't want us trash-clogging up their land of opportunity, so they started checking all the trains heading west from Nevada. All except one. There was this little old line they used to haul borax out of the mines in Death Valley to Amargosa till the borax dried up. I guess they figured no one was crazy enough to try and cross that freezing cold desert at night on an antique locomotive like that. Let me tell you, it was so bad back then. We weren't the only ones trying. A bunch of us hopped on the trains as it left the mine in the pitch dark on the desert night. That terrible stillness all around. It was all right for the first half hour or so. Then the sound started. Horrible screaming like the earth itself was crying out in pain. Then the doors started shaking like somebody was banging on them. Like, like they wanted to come in. Oh, we were all huddled in the middle of those rocks, scared out of our wits. There was something out there, that was for sure. But it wasn't anyone's guess what on earth it was. After who knows how long, it all stopped suddenly. And the laughing started. This terrible laughter. I looked around and Diane wasn't there. I lost my head and flung the door open, just in time to see her carried away into the night by some awful creature. It's cloak spread out behind it like some dark curtain and from under it came a tail of flame which in a second vanished just over the horizon none of the others saw it afterwards I couldn't get him to talk about it all they said was what an awful thing it was that she fell off the train didn't nobody fall off that train I know my sister was taken by a monster What was the laughter like? What? The laughter you heard. Did it ring in your ears? Like it came from every direction. How do you know that? Because I heard it. The same man killed my pa and took my ma. And after he did it, he laughed just like that and flew up into the sky with his flaming sword and flying saucer. You better not be funning me, sister. This ain't any laughing matter. I know. Believe me, I know. That's why I've been chasing after him. Ever since that night. And I won't stop till I know he's dead and buried. Gosh, y'all saying those critters from the movies are real? Really real? That's one argument, Marianne. What's that, Ethel? You don't believe what I said? I don't doubt you saw it. I doubt if it's quite what you believe it is. Mine ain't the only story. I've heard plenty in my time. The railway spook, some of them call them. The boxcar snatcher, the phantom of the Western Railroad, he's been everywhere from Nevada to Wyoming to Louisiana. Every time, somebody vanishes, never seen again. Usually a woman. Or a transient. Nobody they'll give a damn about, is what I mean. Let's hope he's not around here then. He's got a chance to nab four of a booth. <laughs> you better wise up, Ethel. The spirits in this country ain't so little and harmless as back in your old country. I'm going to bed. Me too, I guess. All the spooky talks got me jumping at shadows. <sighs> oh, that was a remarkable loogie. Rhonda never ceases to reveal new hidden talents. You really don't believe in him? This world is full of absurd 
unbelievable things. I don't have the energy to get worked up over all of them. So, tell me then, Lieselot. What? Tell me what it is you really want. And I'll help you find it. I want my ma back. I'll bet you do. You know where she is? No. But you do know the man who took her. You know his face. I do. <laughs> then it's determined. First we'll find the men. That's what we'll do. We'll start tomorrow. How about that? Ah. Uh, thought you didn't believe in him. Didn't you hear me, Lieselotte? It doesn't matter what I believe. All that matters is what you want. And what I can do. Ethel. Please, you don't have to. It's my pledge. It's my cross to bear. Didn't this Marv York teach you it's who to refuse a kindness? Perhaps you don't want her back, after all. <laughs> Thank you, Ethel. Please, don't mention it. Get to bed now. It's late for a girl your age. You're still growing, you know? I suppose I am. I don't really notice. You never do until you stop. Oh, another thing. Huh? What were you? In the game? I'll be up all night if you don't tell me. I'm sorry. You can't trick me like you did Marianne. If you want to know, you gotta ask a yes or no question. <laughs> well then, maybe next time. The Texan girl had already curled up to sleep when Ethel muttered her vow. She looked at her intently after she did so watched sleep take her with unsparing speed. A smile crept to her lips, though its meaning was indecipherable. Not moving from her spot, she rested her back against the wooden sliding door and closed her eyes. Scarcely six hours later, the train whistle woke the band with a start, conveniently warning them to jump off before the cars passed inspection. Talk about rude awakenings. It's the kind I like best. You seen some sense since last night, Ethel? I have. Actually, I want to help you, Honda. That right. How do you plan on doing that? Don't worry. I have a plan. All we have to do is keep moving. And keep an eye out. That don't sound like much of a plan. I was thinking the same thing. Where are we going to next, Ethel? See if there's any suckers giving handouts here. Then we'll see from there. Ain't that what we always do? Hey, trust me, alright? Then have I let you down? I'll recuse myself from that. Hmm. Very good. Come on. New girl, don't be gazing into the distance. We're going. Sorry. Sorry. A short walk brought them to the outskirts of Zion, Illinois. Had they read the local papers, they might have had some idea of what awaited them. Instead, upon arriving, they were surprised to find a threatening figure waiting for them, a strangely uniformed policeman with a Bible on his belt and the word Patience painted in white on his helmet. Somewhat alarmed, Lottie hung back with the others while Ethel went up to the motionless man, adopting her friendliest smile. Good morning, friend. Spare some charity for some poor, dispossessed folk? Charity's at the tabernacle. For good Christians only. Oh! Oh, yes. Where might we find this? Tabernacle. Hmm. You ain't from around here, are you? I thought that was obvious. <laughs> you know just where you are, ma'am? 
somewhere in Missouri, I'm guessing. Wrong. Try again. You're gonna make me guess. I'm a little tired of this game. This is a God-fearing town. We don't want you heathen folk coming here, spreading your irreligion. Pardon me. I was told this was a free country. Well, they that told you was wrong, weren't they? Jesus Christ. You bore me unspeakably. I think I'll go ask someone else. I would not blaspheme if I was you. It ain't helping your case. Whatever. If the Savior has a problem, he can take it up with me. And who's to say he won't? All of a sudden, Ethel noticed she was drawing a significant crowd. Out of the throng emerged a frock-coated man somewhere in middle age, an appearance more suited to Fifth Avenue than a dirty industrial town in the heartland. The townsfolk seemed to look on him with a reverence considerably greater than that usually afforded prominent citizens. Who are you? I might ask you the same question. Yeah, but I asked it first. Hmm. Well, I am the overseer of this proud city. Wilbur Voliva's the name. A pleasure, miss. Ethel Kunzler. Pleasure's all mine. Surely. And your charming companions? Mary Ann Lubbock, mister. You're an important person, ain't ya? I ain't never met an important person. Marianne, it's all right. Let me do the talking. Mr. Voliva, we have no wish to inconvenience you. We're merely unfortunate souls searching for sustenance. Like so many in this unfortunate age, eh? Truly, the Lord's coming is at hand. Is it? Um, do you have any food available, sir? If not, we're happy to look elsewhere. This is a town of industry, my child. There is always work for those possessed of a godly spirit and a sound moral bearing, and plenty of sustenance for those who perform it. We got the both of those, mister. You can trust us, all right. Just a minute now. What happened to let me do the talking? You've already told me all I need to hear. In these times of tribulation, who am I to turn away poor lost souls seeking to join our brethren? Zion Industries has a place for you all. What are we waiting for, then? Come on, Ethel. Just a minute. Rejoice, people of Zion. A band of snow-white lambs have joined our flock. Ethel's reservations were soon drowned out by a chorus of rejoicing, after which the four of them were brought to the town's enormous tabernacle for a lavish feast. It was more food than most of them had seen in months, and they wasted no time in tucking in. All except for Lottie, who looked on her surroundings and herself with a detachment mingled with disgust, occasionally shooting wounded glances at Ethel, who tried her best to avoid her gaze. Regardless of the older woman's commitment to the younger's quest, this opportunity seemed too good to pass up. So what if the locals exhibited some excess Christian fervor? At that point, it could still be passed off as charming. You oughtn't to do that, you know? What oughtn't I to do? You ought to use a fork. That's correct. Ma'am, with all due respect, I didn't have no cutlery aside from a wooden spoon till I was 15 years old, and I didn't much miss them. They won't like it. That's all I'll say. Who? Who gives a fig how I eat my chicken? For Pete's sake, Rhonda, be polite. These are such nice folks offering us their food and all. It's the least you could do. Fine. You got a knife there, new girl? Huh? Oh. Nah. Hey, you ain't touched your food. 
I guess I ain't much one for roast. <laughs> that means you won't mind if I take some? I guess not. So well, thanks. Don't overdo it, Rhonda. You don't want them on your case, fuck it. Christ, Snoopy bunch, huh? Shh, are you crazy or- Your overseer, the third Elijah, presbyter of the Christian Catholic Church, Mr. Wilbur G. Voliva. Gracious, that's the biggest organ I've ever seen. Thank you, thank you. I hope you're enjoying your meal, all in moderation, of course. As you know, I myself have renounced the pleasures of poultry, dairy products, and sweetmeats in order to pursue my blessed ministry. It's Brazil nuts and buttermilk for me until I pass from this world into the next. Hopefully not too soon, eh? I'll admit, it isn't the finest living, but I do it for you. People of Zion, brave Americans all, in search of the kingdom you were promised. Where is that kingdom? Who will deliver it to you? Hoover? Roosevelt? They're all charlatans. Godless liars teaching our children about evolution and medicine, deceiving the faithful about God's own creation with their blasphemous astronomy. But we know, don't we? We know the Lord is coming to set things right. And oh boy, when he comes here, if you're not with him, you better watch out. That's all I'll say. You're lying. Hmm? What? The Earth is round. I read it in the Scientific American. Oh, you did, eh? And you think that makes it right? We all know it. You're just lying. Christopher? Yes, sir. You can't keep... This oh. is the world we live in. There will always be... Oh. Ungodly elements oh. who will not accept the true word. Stop. Against oh. these followers of Caiaphas, the only possible means of communication oh. is force. When there is no chance of repentance, this is the most humane recourse. Please. There is no place for doubters in this kingdom of God. We must be ready to receive him with open arms when he comes. For it has been revealed to me in confidence that the Lord's coming will be in the year 1935. There is not much time, brethren. Pray and prepare. I think that will suffice, Christopher. Yes, sir. As Voliva stepped off the pulpit, the congregation was left stunned, albeit forced to hide their revulsion at the poor dissenter's savage beating. He lay on the floor of the tabernacle in a pool of blood, no longer moving or making a sound. The four women, the only ones who wore their shock on their faces, turned to the lady they'd spoken to before, who had an air of pained resignation. What on earth was that? I told you! They don't like it when you make trouble! Harold was asking for it. He knew what happened to him. It's barbaric. How can you stand living like this? There's work here, and it pays. That's better than out there. Excuse me. Goodness. Ethel. I know. I'm frightened. Don't be. As long as we stick together, we'll be all right. Will we? Ladies, how's the food? Excellent, officer. See so you had yourself some seconds there. Yeah, um, it's been a while since we've eaten something that didn't taste like dust. Enjoy it. That's what the promised land tastes like. Sure does, officer. Thank you. Mm. 
I've had better chicken. After the congregation disbanded, the women were brought to the local boarding house until suitable long-term accommodations could be found. In their cramped room, silence prevailed while they put away what little things they had and settled in, finally broken by Marianne, of all people. Well, ain't we going to talk about this? What's there to talk about? We got food, we got a roof over our heads, and apparently we got work. What more do you want? I don't want to get beaten to a pulp for saying the earth is round. So don't say that, dummy. What's your problem? Ethel, am I going crazy here? Comfortar hard to come by, Marianne. You know that better than anyone. Is it worth this? That's the question. And here's the answer. Hell yeah! I see what you did there. But this discussion isn't over. Ethel, I can't stay here. What? You got some place to be? You know I do. I got somebody to find. Do you know which way she went? Or do you plan on riding the rails through the whole damn Midwest till the Phantom makes you disappear? Now, now. Quiet. Hello? Coffee, you miss, Kunstler. Me? There's been some mistake. I- excuse me, officer. No mistake. The overseer would be delighted to have you over for dinner. I strongly suggest you accept. <sighs> All right. Don't wait up for me, girls. No, please, don't go. Don't worry, Lizalotta. I know how to handle myself. No doubt. Evening, ladies. Well, if she comes back in one piece, that'll settle it. I'll go wash up. Lottie pulled away from the others and drifted to the window. In the street outside, there was a Packard waiting, the nicest car she had ever seen. Ethel climbed in, followed by the officer they'd met before. Then it sped away, out of sight, leaving the girl looking out at an empty street. Still, her gaze remained fixed, imprinting that unremarkable still scene in her mind. Marianne tried calling out to her, but got no answer. She did not know Lottie Lerman was no longer in this world. Instead, she drifted between them, a traveler on less than solid ground. Until, as night fell, the young dreamer finally dared to close her eyes and found herself somewhere else entirely, a tower of cold stone atop a desolate mountain, windswept highlands all around. In an instant, she had moved from the Middle American backcountry to the highlands of the Scottish Northwest. And when she looked out the unglazed, narrow window, she saw a man in knightly armor standing outside. With a gasp of excitement, she sprung up and rushed down the circular staircase to the exit. He was waiting there for her, the perfect image of resolve, just like a statue carved out of flawless living stone. Thank goodness you came. You're here. My liege, my sole purpose is to serve you. Why would I not be? I haven't seen you since... since that night. I thought you weren't ever coming back. What use would I have been in that intervening time? Tell me this. I could have used you. To find him. If the Baron does not wish to be found, he will not be. He is a master of disguise, unparalleled in the art in his generation. Yeah, I know. But I have to find him. I have to dream the way I did back then. Lately, I ain't been able to. Whose fault is that, my lead? Excuse me? Yours. You are mistaken. Your powers are your own. You are the Oneironaut. I am your guide, no more than that. 
Hold on. Onera what now? Oneronaut. One who travels in dreams. It is a rare title, much prized by some. Somebody said something similar to me once. He was a nice fella, even though he was dead. It does not do to be visiting the netherworld, my liege. One meets all sorts of unsavory characters down there. It was he that gave me the clue. The blindfold. But it's been no good ever since. I need it to work now, Mr. Soulgavel. I need to save my friend. I thought you were planning to save your dreamwalking for your next encounter with a Dread Baron. What? I gotta save it? Is it gonna run out? A feat like the one you accomplished in that cornfield is taxing in the extreme. If you truly wish to defeat Cold Coffin, you had best arrive well prepared. But I... I don't even know where he is. Ethel's gonna help me find him. Voliva's got her now. What'll I do if... if... A decision to intervene is your own. But I suggest you consider beforehand. How will you rescue her from his clutches? I'll... I'll fly over there on a clipper, parachute out, and grab her. Then you'll both be trapped, right? Oh, right. Guess I didn't think it through. I ain't used to this masked Avenger business. Doing it myself, I mean. That is understandable. Come with me. There is something I think you should see. Down there? Yes, down there. Have no fear. It's perfectly safe. As long as you have sure footing. With the wind blowing her dark hair and his armor plates jangling, Lottie and her mysterious protector began the careful descent down the mountain into the mist-shrouded vale below. Jumping onto 